are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo, to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 338, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 8, Paragraphs 533 to 543, Chapter 8. The state of continual abstractive vision in which God placed the Most Blessed Mary after her victory over the demons and her behavior therein. 533. In the measure in which the mysteries of the infinite and eternal wisdom were being fulfilled, so the great lady was raised in the sphere of holiness, beyond all human thought, above the rest of the creatures. As her triumphs over the infernal dragon were gained under the conditions and circumstances I have described, and resulted in the rewards I have mentioned, and as all these events of her life were the sequel of the mysteries of the Incarnation and Redemption, and all the rest in which she had associated with her divine Son, If it is possible that our lowly human faculties should even faintly comprehend the effects of these mysteries upon the purest heart of the Heavenly Mother, she conferred within herself upon the works of the Lord and weighed them by the scales of her most exalted wisdom. The devouring flame of her celestial love grew into a conflagration which excited the astonishment of all the angels and courtiers of heaven and her natural powers of life, could not have withstood the impetuous onsets of her desire to annihilate herself entirely in the essence of the divinity, if they had not been sustained by miraculous influence. At the same time, she was drawn toward men by her most sweet and maternal charity, for they all depended upon her, just as the plants upon the sun that vivifies and nourishes them. She therefore lived in the state of violent longing to untie both the objects of her love in her bosom." 5.34. In such a state, the Most Blessed Mother found herself after the victories over the dragon, notwithstanding her having, through the whole course of her life, from its first instant, at all times, done what was most pure, most holy, and exalted, without ever being embarrassed by her travels, labors, and cares in the service of her Divine Son. Yet at this juncture there arose, as it were, a contest in her heart between her love of God and of the souls. In all her works of charity, she felt the force of her aspirations drawing her to the higher and new gifts and workings of grace. On the other hand, 
she was impelled to withdraw herself from all the sensible things in order to wing her flight to the continual and supreme union with the divinity, and an imitation of comprehensors, and especially of the state of her divine son on earth, free herself from all hindrance of creatures in order to enjoy all that he enjoyed outside of what belonged to him, in virtue of the hypostatic union. This latter was indeed not possible in the Blessed Mother. Yet the height of her sanctity and love seemed to demand all that was next below the state of comprehensors. On the other hand, she was drawn by her love of the church to hasten the relief of the faithful and all the necessities, for without thus being engaged in these duties of a mother of the family, she could scarcely rest satisfied with the favors and delights of the Most High. As each of these activities of Martha required time, she continued to study how she might adjust her life so as to be wanting neither in the active nor the contemplative life. 5.35 The Most High permitted this sort of solicitude to arise in His Most Blessed Mother, in order that the favor of her new state, held in readiness for her by His omnipotence, might come to her, so much the more opportunely. Therefore He spoke to her and said, My spouse and my beloved, the anxious aspirations of Thy most ardent love have wounded my heart, and by the power of my right hand I wish to operate in thee what I have done to none of the creatures, nor ever shall do, for thou art chosen as none other of my creatures for my delights. For thee alone have I prepared a state and condition, in which I shall nourish thee with my divinity, as one of the blessed, yet in a different manner. In it thou shalt continually enjoy my sight and my embraces, my peace and tranquility, without being embarrassed by created things or by the condition as a pilgrim. In this habitation thou shalt wing thy flight freely and without bonds through the infinite regions required by thy love, and from it thou shalt also fly to the aid of the Holy Church, of which thou art mother. Charged with my treasures, thou shalt distribute them among thy brethren according to thy pleasure and their necessities and labors, so that through thee they all may be relieved. 5.36 This is the favor which I pointed out in the last chapter, in which the evangelist clothes in these words, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, that there they should feed her a thousand, two hundred, and sixty days, and a little farther on. And there were given to the woman two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the desert unto her place, where she was nourished. Apocalypse twelve fourteen. It is not easy to make myself understood regarding this mystery, for it contains many supernatural effects which have no counterpart in any other creatures, and are wonders reserved by God exclusively to the faculties of the Most Blessed Mary. And since faith teaches us that we cannot measure or comprehend the power of the Almighty, it is proper to confess that He can operate in her much more than we can understand and that we need only deny such excellence in her as would imply an evident and manifest contradiction. In that which has been shown me for the purpose of recording it in this history, supposing that I understand it, I do not see any contradiction in the way I see it, although the proper terms for recording it fail me in what I write. 5.37 I say then that after Mary our leader and mistress had triumphed in her battles over the dragon and his demons, God raised her to a state, in which he manifested to her the divinity, not by an intuitive vision like that of the blessed, but by another clear vision through created species, which in this history I have always called abstractive vision, because it depends not upon the actual presence of the object seen, nor moves the understanding of the object itself, 
but by other species which present the object as it is in itself, although absent, namely in the same manner as God can show me the city of Rome, as it is in itself by infusing into my mind all the images and likeness of that city. This kind of vision of the divinity the Most Blessed Virgin had enjoyed before during her life, as I have often demonstrated in this history. Although it was thus not altogether new to her, since she enjoyed abstractive vision at the moment of her conception, as said at that time, yet it was new now in two respects. First, from this time on, it was permanent and continual, enduring till her death, until she passed into the beatific vision, while before that time it had been occasional in passing. Secondly, from this time it continued to increase in intensity day by day, and thus reached a degree more exalted, more admirable, and excellent than before, and beyond all created thought and measure. 538. For this purpose all her faculties were touched by the fire of the sanctuary, causing new effects of the divinity, illuminating and exalting her above herself. For this state was to be a participation of that, held by the comprehensors and the blessed yet at the same time different from theirs. Hence, it is important to note wherein it was like and wherein it was unlike to theirs. The likeness consisted in her seeing the same object of the divinity and the same attributes which they enjoyed by secure possession. Only she understood them more deeply than they. The differences consisted in three points. First, the blessed see God face to face and by intuitive vision, whereas the Most Blessed Mary saw him by an abstractive vision as described. Secondly, the beatific vision of the saints in the fatherland, and their essential fruition in which the glory of the understanding and the will consists cannot increase, whereas the abstractive vision of Mary and her pilgrimage had no limit or restriction, but her knowledge of the infinite attributes and the divine essence increased day by day, and for this were given to her two wings of an eagle." by which she was to soar continually in this limitless ocean of the divinity, comprehending ever more and more of its infinity. 5.39 The third difference was that the saints can neither suffer nor merit, this being incompatible with their state, whereas our queen could well accumulate suffering and merit in her state of vision, as being still a wayfarer. And without this possibility, this state would not have been so great and valuable in her eyes, nor for the church, for the meritorious works of so great a lady in this state of so great grace and holiness, were of the most inestimable value and price to all men. She presented a new and wonderful spectacle to the angels and saints, a sort of portrait of her divine son. For as the queen and mistress, she had the power to dispense and distribute the treasures of grace, and at the same time to add to them by her own ineffable merits." And though she was not a comprehensor as the saints in heaven, yet in her state of pilgrimage she held a place so near to Christ and so like to his on earth that if compared with him, she was indeed a pilgrim in body and soul. But it compared to the other pilgrims on earth, she seemed a comprehensor and one of the blessed. 540. This her state required that all the armory of her senses and other faculties should be of another order and capable of operations proportionate to her condition. Hence the manner of her activity experienced an entire change. In the following way all the species or impressions of creatures which through her senses had acted upon her understanding were now in an end or blotted out from her mind, 
Though, as I have said above in this third part, number 126, the great lady had not admitted any images or species except only those that were necessary for the exercise of charity and other virtues. Now, even these, in as far as they were terrestrial, and in as far as they partook of the sensitive in entering her understanding, the Lord abolished, purging, and distilling them of all that they yet contained of their origin in the senses. In place of the images and impressions which thenceforward she could receive through the natural activity of her sensitive and intellectual faculties, the Lord infused into her mind other species more pure and immaterial, and by means of these her perception and understanding was raised to a more exalted level. 541. This wonder will present no difficulty to the understanding of the learned. In order to explain myself more thoroughly, I wish to say that when we call to the action the five bodily senses by which we hear, see, and taste, we receive certain impressions of the objects presented to them. These impressions are passed on to another interior and corporeal faculty, called the general or common sense. The imaginative or estimative fantasy in which all the impressions of the exterior senses are united and perceived or felt, and are deposited and kept and reserved as in a storehouse of the five senses. Up to this point, our perception is like that of the animals, although with some difference. After these impressions of the common sense or fantasy have thus been stored within us, who are rational animals, our mind, by means of the natural workings of its faculties, cooperates with them and enables the intellect to become active, distilling from them other spiritual or immaterial images. And by means of these spiritual images which it produces within itself, it naturally comes to know and understand what first entered through the senses. Hence, philosophers say that in understanding our mind speculates upon the fantasy. In order to draw from it the images of what it is to understand according to the natural routine of our acting faculties, this routine is maintained because the soul is united to the body and depends upon it in its operations. 5.42. But in the Most Blessed Mary, after entering the new state, the mode of procedure was not entirely preserved, for the Lord had miraculously supplied for her intellect another mode of action, independent of the fantasy and the general sense. In place of the species, which her understanding was naturally to draw from the impressions of exterior objects through the senses, he had infused into her other kinds of images, which represented exterior objects in a more exalted manner, whereas those which she acquired by the senses remained in the storehouse of the fantasy without being used by the act of understanding, which was instead furnished with and illustrated by the supernatural species. These her understanding made use of in its activity, while at the same time those received and stored in the general fantasy served her for the feeling of pain and sensible afflictions. Thus, in this temple of the Most Blessed Mary was fulfilled what happened in its figure long before. The stones were shaped and wrought outside the temple, whereas within the strokes of the hammer or other noise were not heard. Likewise, the animals were killed and sacrificed upon the altar outside the precincts of the sanctuary, Exodus 4.27, and in it were offered only the holocaust of the incense and spices burned in the sacred fire. 5.43 Through the workings of this miracle in our great queen and lady, the stones of her virtues for her adornment were hewn and polished in the lower sensitive faculties of her soul, while in the forehall of the common senses were offered up the hardships, sorrows, and pains which she bore for the faithful in her labors for the church. 
But in the Holy of Holies of her intellect and her will were offered up only the perfume of her contemplation and vision of the divinity and the fire of her incomparable love. For this purpose, the species of the senses representing objects in a more earthly manner and with the turmoil natural to them were not appropriate. Therefore, the divine power excluded them altogether and replaced them with other images of the same objects, infused, supernatural, and pure, capable of nourishing the abstractive contemplation of the divinity, and more appropriate to her knowledge of God, whom she unceasingly looked upon and loved, in the inviolable peace, tranquility, and serenity of her soul. This concludes our reading today for day number 338. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 8, Paragraphs 533 to 543. After those temptations that Our Lady was faced with, these assaults of the evil one, she lives her days in quiet peace and dedication to God. And one of the lines we heard in our reading today was that Mary was indeed a pilgrim in body and soul, but if compared to the other pilgrims on earth, she seemed a comprehensor and one of the blessed. So Mary was making her journey in this life with the hope of everlasting life, and of course being without sin, being the immaculate conception, she would enjoy eternal life. She had these visions of God throughout her life, and so she knew where she would end up. And that's why her pilgrimage is a bit different than our pilgrimage. Mary knows where she will be. For us, we live our lives in the hope of that promise of everlasting life, that we will merit it by our deeds, by our actions, that we will die in the state of grace. Mary enjoyed such a privileged relationship with God, with the Trinity, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we ask Our Lady to help us during our pilgrimage of life that we might have a good and holy relationship with our God and one day that we might arrive at those gates of heaven. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God, I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.